Good morning, it's Celeste from Me After Work with our next episode of You Don't Know What You Don't Know. Today we have Dex Randall and Dex is a burnout coach. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, you're welcome. We're just going to talk all about burnout sure. the next 30 minutes. So it's pretty topical. We get a lot of hits on our website, articles, any podcast that we've done about burnout always gets very high reach, um, people are interested and even just stats that I've looked at by Gallup polls and things that have come out recently in the last 12 months say a quarter of people do suffer from burnout, like serious burnout. So yeah. we just want to understand that it because it's a big word, uh, it can mean a lot to different people. Um, so maybe if you can explain to us what burnout is. Well, uh, for me, burnout is basically it's a state of stress and anxiety that's unmanaged and unresolved and becomes chronic and debilitating. And the, the kind of burnout I work with is burnout at work, typically, um, with professional men. So, um, so anxiety or stress unmanaged? Essentially, yes. And it yep. resolves into a state of uh, detachment and disinterest at work. The symptoms start to slide off into those that are a little bit similar to depression. So, like isolation? Isolation, withdrawal, um, loss of self-esteem, loss of performance, uh, anxiety, frustration, perfectionism is another one, uh, people-pleasing, feeling that you're drowning, basically, and there's nothing much you can do about it. It's a bit out, become outside your control. As you used to manage your work landscape, more and more it's sliding away from your control and your overworked and frustrated and irritable most of the time. Because in other circles, detachment isn't a bad thing. So why in this example, burnout, uh, detachment is not so good? Good question. I find that most of the people that I work with are really very well-trained, usually high-performing prof professionals, and they're very passionate about their work. And it's the passion that's driven their career forwards. So to experience a sense of detachment is kind of a loss of motivation and they can't engage with that work and connect with people the way that they used to. Uh, so they no longer have that feeling of uh, being in something and you're not worried about the time or what else is going on that inflow. Yeah, so that's is it. That, that that's doesn't it. happen anymore. The flow anymore. is gone and yeah. everything is just like another thing they have to do, another thing they have to do. And it's not it's very difficult to sustain any kind of joy and creativity and passion when you're just feeling like you know, everything is just another task that you don't want to have to do and that you're fearful that you won't complete to the standard you're used to completing it as well and you won't deliver to people what you think people want from you. So is it, does it come from um, a fear that we haven't resolved? and has grown over time, or is it a, a, as a result of the environment, or both? Usually when people come to me, they talk about stress, and the stress over time has accumulated. And when it accumulates, it, it starts to spawn anxiety about whether you'll be able to resolve it, and then that kicks back into home life, and you stop um, sleeping as well as you used to, you stop being able to turn off and relax the way you used to, and the system just becomes more and more depleted and so the stress is rising and your resources to meet it are diminishing and over time it just becomes oppressive. Mm. Mm. When did 
burnout become a thing? Like when do we start using this word and, and, and I mean even in your article that you wrote on burnout you said that the World Health Organization has recognised burnout as... Mm. But that's only this year, that was May this year. I think, as I recall, burnout was coined in, I think it was 1974, so it's not completely new. But what I think is happening now is, in general, people are suffering, in the general population, people are suffering much more stress and anxiety, particularly, than they used to. And so burnout is being triggered in more and more people. So I think it's become uh, more common only in that respect, as people recognise it as more widespread than it used to be. Busy to hear people, you know, in the legal profession or maybe in advertising or something like that burning out. And some real high flyers have really stuck their necks out, um, dropping into burnout. Whereas now I think the general population is to a much greater extent experiencing burnout. Yeah, well, the, the Gallup poll said a quarter of empo- employees reported feeling burnt out very often or always, and an additional 44% reported feeling sometimes burnout. So that's quite a lot of people. Huge, that's huge. And I see it in so many people around me, and especially one of the reasons I work with men is men have to cope, right? That's the whole whole, uh, standard is you must cope if you're under stress, anxiety, whatever. You must just keep going and work it out for yourself. And so I've seen a lot of people around me suffering because they couldn't reach out for help, and then it's just going to become worse, Mm. which I find very frightening. And one of the things that drove me to do this work, apart from my own burnout, was um, looking at the suicide statistics in Australia, in the UK, in America, and other places where uh, suicide has become the leading cause for men in Australia, particularly between the ages of 15 and 44, the leading cause of death. And also in older age groups, it's the second cause of death. And to me, I just think, where are these men not getting the help they need, you know? Is burnt burnout contagious? Like, does it have a domino effect with, in circles? Do you see any, any patterns? Not really in my experience. If you are working for a boss who's in burnout and is very, very high stressed all the time, it might affect you to that point, but I'm not, I'm not seeing it really happen in clusters. And particularly, I can't um, usually reach a whole company and say, OK, guys, how many guys have you got in burnout? I can help them because... Uh, nobody's coming to me in that way. They're coming to me secretly in private. They don't want to admit to their peer group, and particularly at work that they're in burnout. So I don't really have much data on the whole cluster. People just say, yeah, my boss is a stress head or whatever. Mm. So, I so would someone come to you to and say, I'm feeling burnt out? That's the, the terminology they would use? No. Usually they either come to me saying they're stressed or potentially they're anxious, or they've seen a checklist of symptoms of burnout on my website, and they're ticking all of the boxes, or they're saying, I'm not rewarded in my job, I'm thinking about a career change, can you help me? That comes up quite a lot. Yeah. And I guess the the potential issue is that they could go into another career and have the same situation. And so it might not be a product of their environment. It might be more internal than external in that, in that example. Yeah, I would agree. It can be triggered by their environment, but if they don't resolve it in their current environment, it's portable, and they will take it with them to the next job, whatever shiny, sparkly new job they think they're going to have or, or some career change into a, 
a less stressful industry, they're actually going to take the stress and anxiety with them because by the time people are in burnout, it's become a habit. It's, it's just become how they are at work, you know. And they need detraining from that. What are the habits or the symptoms of burnout? Like on a day-to-day, not um, that you're feeling stressed, but actual tangible, physical or specific feelings? Overwork, frustration. Overwork because people perceive that they're always on. They're always on even if they're uh, away from work in their social lives or at home or whatever. They're always on, so they're always thinking about work even if they're not working. And so they describe their experience as overwork because they don't know how to switch off from the work mindset again. That's a really big one. And they feel they've got no time left over for themselves. And also the, the lack of reward. They're upset, they're irritable, they're cranky, they're not getting on with people. They're hating their jobs, basically. It's another, another way they'll describe it to me. And where's the line between um, taking responsibility for yourself and blaming others, or if it's an organisation or your boss or you know your colleagues or the culture of a business. Where, where's that? I mean, that's a, quite a broad question, but... Yeah, I think it's personally my observation about the work culture now compared to, say, 20 plus years ago, is it's completely different and it's typically um, much more high-pressured and much vaguer. We're not really sure what we're supposed to be doing. You know, 20 years ago, we knew what we were supposed to do to acquit ourselves of our responsibilities at work. And these days, it's much less clear. There's much less job security. Um, and everything's shifting. You have to have many more skills now than you used to have to have. So I think environmentally, uh, in general, we've certainly got more triggers than we used to have. But nonetheless, the only way that you can change your experience of that is to take responsibility for yourself. So I think both things apply, really. Why don't you tell us a bit about your story and how, do you, how did you come to finding yourself in the role of a burnout coach? <laughs> well, And I, just before yeah. we go into it, I, I, and I don't know if I've spoken to you about this before, but as far as all the coaches, it's so specific and so helpful, I think, when people are looking for a coach that you're so clear on what problem you solve and will mm. help people to solve. Mm. It's, it's, I think it's, um, it's, it's very powerful to, for others when they're navigating the right person to look for help from. So, well done. Yeah, that. good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's massively important to me that I do this work. And um, my background is uh, I worked in IT for the rest of my life and I loved it. I loved it so much. And I was very successful and I was constantly being pushed into management, which I thought wasn't really my thing. Um, but it turns out I love to manage people as well, and I love to mould a team and get everything humming and sweetly and working well. I, li- I like to see people working well together, and I like to see them being very effective in the work that they do, and also enjoying enjoying their work, basically. And so I did that um, for many, many years, and finally I uh, ended up working for a, an entrepreneur who did um, stock market education. And that was a bit of a different ball game for me. I came out of more corporate into entrepreneurial. And I started to be exposed to a different set of pressures where nobody really knew what they were doing. So it was always like, hmm, okay, how do we resolve this problem? Okay, does anybody even understand the problem that we're in? And I started working with the sales and the marketing people and everybody and the, the analysts trying to work out how we could make this thing successful. 
And um, after that, I got a couple more jobs with entrepreneurs at startups. And that was even more stressful. And I looked around and nobody knew what they were doing. And I'd not really worked in such an unstructured environment where we were supposed to get something done really, really quickly and produce a product really, really quickly, but nobody knew what it was supposed to do. And um, <clears throat> that's basically what contributed to my burnout. The last job I had, I was in charge of producing a product um, for financial mindfulness, actually. And, um, oh, I was mindfulness. Yeah, yeah, about people in financial stress, and, um, which I really bought into because, you know, it's a big area, it's a big problem for a lot of people, financial stress. But uh, I was in charge of building the product and I was being stonewalled on building the product, so I couldn't do my only job. And eventually the stress of that uh, mounted so much that I just sat there one day, it was a Tuesday morning, and I sat there and I just thought, I had one, uh, I had one more discussion with the team, and I just thought, I can't do this, this is not actually going to come to fruition, and the stress of it is probably going to kill me. And I said, look, I quit. How and long I, were you in the role for? Um, maybe seven months. Yeah. And I'd had a number of runs at making this product, and I could see why it was never going to come to fruition. Because there were blockers there that wouldn't allow it. So, and I, you know, not being able to do my job, and yet being asked to do it very quickly was more, more than I could manage at that time. So... So I walked away, and three weeks later, I had a massive heart attack, and um, it nearly took me away, and I spent about six months trying to physically recover, basically lying on a sofa, wondering why I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. And, um, and then I, I'd already been involved with energetic healing, so I, um, I worked with Reiki and kinesiology, a bit of NLP, and I... I love that work because it's such a direct human connection and sharing energy with other human beings in a healing way is such a huge reward. I was in transition to, um, to make that my next career uh, when I had the heart attack. But when I had the heart attack, <laughs> I suddenly switched a bit and I just thought, burnout. Burnout's the only thing I need to deal with here. Because when I looked around and I started talking about my experience with other people, I could see there were a lot of people that I knew who were... Uh, suffering silently from similar symptoms and heading in the same direction. And so I started to reskill in, um, in dealing with burnout and I could see that the energetic healing, whilst it helps enormously, um, it doesn't take people all the way there because they have to, to some extent, take responsibility for their own reconditioning. And so I started to get more into the coaching side to teach people how to fish instead of giving them fish kind of thing. And that's so you, what brought st- me you here. started coaching? You did a, uh, a yeah, so I did a one-year coaching course yeah. specifically aimed at burnout because I brought myself out of burnout by learning the coaching material and by my own energetic healing practice. By basically stopping, unlearning everything I thought I knew about work and myself at work and... Um, taking greater, he- greater care of myself and greater responsibility for myself and what was happening for me. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 is, say, you're on the... You, it's as bad as what you were, you experienced. Where, where do you think you are now? 
On a kind of stress level, you mean? Yeah. Two? Oh, fabulous. <laughs> I don't... I mean, I get stressed, because I'm, I'm obviously growing my new business now, so I'm a burnout coach, and that's what I do for a living, and that's something that's only happened in the last year or two, so I'm doing a lot of work on building that business up and uh, enhancing my skills in that, and I have to do a lot of new work for that, so I'm venturing into the unknown quite a lot and meeting a lot of new people. But in terms of the actual residual stress of that, it's very low. Did you have to change your program or behaviours that you've created pretty much all your life to go from a 10 to a 2? Oh, yeah. This is a very (laughs) big change, isn't it? It is a big change, and I think finally when I look at myself at the end, I was was kind of an unrecognisable person towards the end. I was living in such a high level of anxiety every day, of not being able to perform at my job, essentially, and then that kind of snowballed into fear and shame around not being able to be just an ordinary bloke doing an ordinary job, you know, which is all I really wanted. And when I see now all the negative emotion that came into play there and how much I got stuck in it, and I didn't want to ask for help, because if you ask for help, typically, you know, you're going to be shown the door. Nobody wants to keep you around if you're that messy. So I didn't want to talk to anybody about it and I kept myself stuck in the cycle. Now that you're a coach, what's your perspective on asking for help or seeking support? I think that the only strength that's worth having is the strength you get from being vulnerable now, and I'm quite prepared to be an advocate and a speaker about, you know, all of the things that happened to me and my descent into hell, essentially. I I just don't think emotional resilience can come from anything except being real about who you are and and what your emotions are. It concerns me very much that the suicide rate in Australia amongst men is very, very much higher than that is amongst women. And perhaps because women are a little bit um, more comfortable talking about their emotions and their failures and their difficulties, the men and men are just being far too staunch for their own good. Hmm. Do you think your heart attack um, was a result of your stress level? Absolutely. What it's that thing when you stop work. When you stop work and you go on holiday, what's the first thing you do? If you're in a high-pressure job, you sleep for days. You're on holiday and you want to do good stuff, you just sleep. And that's kind of what happened when I came down off the stress and went home is my heart blew up and it had been waiting to blow up. People um, experience burnout even if they're not in a high-pressure job? Yes, they can. I mean, burnout really is a state of being and you can experience it anywhere where you perceive you've got difficulties and you're not managing them, you know, chronically over a long time. So I think there are a lot of different kinds of burnout for one thing. There's, you know, carer burnout, family burnout, there's all kinds of burnout. So I don't think it's directly connected with the work, although there are some professions like the medical profession, uh, the legal profession, notable um, sales, real estate, uh, who are more prone to burnout as a body. Medical burnout is it linked to like the adrenaline bad. fatigue? Yeah. Yeah having your adrenals jammed open for years and has a very detrimental effect on the body and all the systems in the body 
the ability to digest food, relax, sleep, laugh. You know, the the picture um, is a holistic one. It's not just something that happens in your mind. Mm. Talk talk to us about some of the clients that come and see you. So, are they all men? I used to work actually exclusively with women when I was doing the um, energetic healing. <clears throat> I worked with women, but when I when I moved into the burnout area, I wanted to work with men mostly because a lot of people spoke to me about the need and how much they were suffering. So, um, what was the question? Um, I lost the question. Like, what's um, your typical client, or why do people oh. come and? Well, I thought it was going to be people like me. I mean, I've I've had a career already, and I thought I was declining. I th- what I thought was happening to me is I thought I was dropping off the peak of my performance at work. I've been in the industry for decades, and I thought I was slowing down. And you know, next thing you know, dementia and old age and all that was going to hit me. And I thought they would be the people that I was going to deal with. But what's actually happening is um, I'm getting much, much younger people. I mean, the youngest person I'm talking to now is 20, and I'm talking to a bunch of college students because they already have all the classic symptoms of burnout from the pressure of their educational um, life and also trying to get a job afterwards, the pressures of family. Um, so I'm kind of but that's blown away why, how young why, they are. Um, is it, too, could be uh, related to the fact that, that they are more open to seeking support. So that's why the younger people are coming to you. It's certainly in the conversation these days. But I also think that the incidence of burnout is really being pushed down the age spectrum. And I do find people who are, you know, any age between 20 and where I am. Um, but uh, that cause it's I part of the conversation now. I mean, it's in the me- mental health is in the media all the time, yeah. isn't it? And I went to a, um, I went to a forum this week on uh, the politics of mental health because I was interested in what, what's happening on mental health at the national and international level. And there's quite a big youth contingent in there. Um, they're talking about mental health education in schools and in colleges and what young people's experience is of stress and anxiety and depression and even suicidality and all of those things. So that was quite interesting. I think the conversation on media is huge in the youth sphere now much more than it is in the old age range. And is, it, is the, conversa- the increasing conversation helping even though the statistics are increasing? Absolutely. Okay. And the youth are having more support now as well. It's much more um, happening at a policy level, at a government level, where the, and a funding level. Like Headspace and Origin in this country are very uh, strong now in their education and support of the youth. So I think it's very helpful that that conversation is emerging. So if you get a client that comes in and they say that they have burnout, how do you know that it's not depression and that they should be seeing someone, a medical professional? I'm always going to check in with them about what their symptoms are and their experiences and what their history is um, because I will always recommend mental health care if they have a mental illness that needs treatment or if they're in crisis, I will certainly um, redirect them to somebody else because that's not my area. I'm not a medical professional at all. Um, but most of the people who come are actually not in depression. Burnout doesn't have the same symptoms as depression. I think burnout can lead to depression, or depressed people can get burnout, but the symptoms are um, 
they're not as black and they're not as despairing as depression. I think people understand when they come to me in burnout that they have um, some agency, that there's something that they can do about it, whereas if they're in depression they don't usually present with that, that outlook. Mm. What would be, um, how do clients work with you? So if someone comes in and is it... I'm coaching people online. I have um, clients from all over the world, actually. I've worked a lot with people in America as well. But I, I do a coaching session with them and then I give them materials so that they can learn. I give them videos and work materials for them to complete so that they can really understand more fully where they're at now, precisely where they're at, what, why they have arrived at the place they're in, and what specifically they can do about each of their different symptoms. So it's a bit of retraining involved in taking back the amount of um, <clears throat> agency that they have over their own condition and their own experience of that condition. And after they finish the coaching, what, what some of the, the, the what some of the feedback from your clients on how they perceive? the change that they've experienced, if they've experienced change? Well, typically I start them off on a six-week rescue package. And at the end of that, most of them can't believe how far they've come. I mean, I get people saying, wow, they love their job now. Straight away, they love their job. I can get in even three or four weeks, I can get people back, some people back to loving their jobs again, which was inconceivable to them before they start. I mean, most of them are overjoyed. It, it's actually one of the rewards of this work is how easy it is for people to come back from burnout once they kind of open the window and have a look <laughs> from the outside in, do you know what I mean? So That they recognise that they're in burnout and that they, they can get out of it. Like there's a Yeah, I mean, when I was in burnout, I had no idea there was an escape hatch. Um, Did you know you were in burnout? Would you have described yes. it? Yeah. I, I would have described it to myself as burnout, but I wouldn't have described it as somebody else to burnout, as burnout. In fact, I wouldn't have described it to somebody else at all. I'd said, I'm fine. I'll work it out. But The quick fine. I think a lot of people do know they're in burnout. A lot of people who come to me are the ones who are prepared to stick their hand up to their self and to another person and go, actually, yeah, I got a problem. I think the problem is burnout. And sometimes they describe it as stress or anxiety or overwork. But I think the word burnout is quite stigmatised and sometimes it's difficult to use that word, but... Stress, anxiety, and overwork, and hating their jobs for sure. What about the what is like the glorification of working a lot and being busy? And do you see that as a link to burnout? Yes. Yeah, the social expectation to be always available, and I mean, I think it's part of the American dream, isn't it, to be a super achiever? Everybody wants to be a you know, a CEO of something or a, a film star or, a, you know, you've got to be at the top or a sports star at the top of your game and everybody wants to be seen as being at that level and somehow they have to, you know, drag themselves up by their bootstraps until they get there. So I think that cultural expectation is there of super achievement and I don't think that's very helpful. And then there's the always-on thing where you have to be available to work around the clock. Good old internet, eh? Mm. Is it and and part of the program that you help people with is it teaching or providing you know advice around just how to manage your day to day your emails your conversations your start time your end time 
um, whether you work weekends. Like, do you go to that level of detail? With oh, yeah. We, I only work at the detail level. I mean, we're talking here in general terms, mm-hmm. but I deal with people's specific problems. Okay, what's the one thing that hurt you this morning that happened around time, around your boss or whatever? Give me that one example and let's resolve that. And when we resolve that, you'll see how you can run with the ball and apply it in other areas. So we, I deal a lot with time management, performance, um, receiving feedback at work or expectations around work and basically this, this, all of the little stress points will attack individually. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in both the burnout coaching space and also mental health? I know they're two different things, but just the... A lot of coaching is is performance coaching, and I could brand myself as a performance coach, and that would work. So when you're talking to particularly um, entrepreneurs or business people, or men in particular, whoops, is, um, you know, the word performance coach or sales coach even implies this success trajectory, which you're on anyway. It's just going to the next level in that. But really... I'd rather call a spade a spade. I think burnout happens to high achievers and it happens um, randomly, but when you get over burnout, you can get back to being a high achiever quite naturally. I mean, you haven't lost any of those skills, I think. So is it about um, channeling your energy and not dispersing it everywhere over a 24-hour period, but channeling it so it is in flow and it's natural and you can be at your peak. I just think of Dokovic and the things that he does to, for peak performance. So interesting. You know, he meditates, does yoga, his diet um, mm. is really minimal. Mm. Uh, mm. He spends time with his family. Like it's Absolutely. How you manage your time. I mean, time's just a concept, really. It's a mental concept, like money is just a mental concept. So when you're managing your own time, what typically people in burnout are doing is they're leaking time everywhere. They think they're spending 18 hours a day working, but actually they're spending about two hours a day working and the other 16 hours a day fretting and running up and down and looking on social media and stuff. So certainly being able to do all of the things that support you, like meditation and yoga and family time and social time and all of that, you can fit it in the same daily schedule and compress the amount of time you spend on work and still be more productive. So I do teach people specifically how to achieve that. That's quite a long practice. Yeah, and and do because that's a change in behaviour too, and complete mindset. Because yeah. sometimes we're driven by um, feeling needed and being busy, and so we think we have to keep doing more and more. But you're telling us actually you you, you can just do less and still achieve more. Constraint. Yeah, it's about constraint. You could, you could probably cut down your workday. 25 to 50% and achieve more and feel better, feel less tired. Because a lot of the time, we think we're multitasking, but what we're really doing is uh, worrying, fretting, jumping up and down, making phone calls, getting on social media. We're trying to multitask and look at this, look at this, look at this. You know, every time something pings, we're looking at it. And it's not an efficient way of working. We can't do it. So if we come back and constrain and say, well, okay, this one hour... I'm going to achieve this one result and I'm not going to look at anything else. It's much easier. It's just a, a discipline and a skill we can learn. Sorry, back to trends. Mm. Trends in 
in coaching burn out that space? Yes. What What are you seeing in, in the last 12 months and where do you see it going? Uh, well, there's a massive explosion in coaching, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you know, in all kinds of coaching and I think it's um, just indicative of where we're all at as a culture right now that that it's come up that way. I think it's going to be in going through an enormous growth period. It's nowhere near its peak yet. But I think we probably need to separate the people um, who are professional in this from the old idea of coaching, which is you're just somebody with a lot to say. Yeah. So I think that's very important. But I think increasingly people are specialising and it's been popularised by a lot of people in the last couple of decades, you know, Anthony Robbins and all that sort of stuff. But now it's, it is mainstream, it is growing, and I think, uh, you know, there'll come the day when most people have got a coach of one kind or another. Do you have a coach? Yes, I do. Yeah. I have a, a, co- a coach who teaches me, and I also have peer coaches that I work with. Because my understanding is I need to self-coach every day to be able to do this work on myself and for other people. If I haven't got my own self in order, my own brain in order, then I, I can't really work with other people. Mm, I think it's a good indication of the professionalism of a coach if they've A, been coached before and have a coach, you know. Yeah, um, well, you, yeah I mean, and you can do a coaching course, a weekend course, and say I'm a coach. Mm. I've been on a one-year course, um, which has been quite intensive and involves a lot of contact time, so it's more like a a diploma. Mm. Mm. Because even checking in with your coach on um, Mm. after you've coached someone is quite valuable. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you need a mentor, yes. um, Mental health. You you spoke about this and the high suicide rates in men. What's the solution? how do we stop this from getting worse? How I think do we we're doing it, it. I mean, the governments now are, in this country and elsewhere are very, very conscious of mental health. But what's happening is we're not spending any money on mental health as a nation. You know, the policy and the funding are not there. So it's not really... We haven't really hit a place where we're taking care of people who haven't got the mental well-being they need to to conduct their lives. But that's coming, and I think it needs to come because I think what's happened is... Um, in general people have a lot more stress and anxiety than they would have had 10 or 20 years ago and also you know, these increasing rates of violence, domestic violence, abuse, addiction um, and all of that com- comes kind of bundled together. It's not separate from mental health. Um, so I think what's happening is they're going to have to spend a lot of money on it and they're talking about how to do that because there's no parity at the moment between the spend on mental health and the spend on physical health. Nobody wants to, it's not a political football, you know, to spend money on mental health isn't getting them any kudos at all. It's not getting them re-elected. So until that time, we've got a problem. I mean, the kids have got a problem. If we don't get mental health and mental well-being education into schools, then how are the kids coming up going to look after themselves? But even in organisations, as a manager, to look for the signs or to be aware or how to even manage or how to have the conversations, what's available? Like, I think a lot of the good organisations now are very aware of the mental health of their employees and their staff 
And I also think a lot of them are starting to employ coaches at a corporate level. But the only thing that's kind of tricky about that is you have to get your employees to cough up that they've got a problem, thus risking, you know, being ejected, really. So, but a lot of them, you know, they're starting to employ coaches to help with the well-being of their staff and to increase the performance level that's associated. You know, you, you're never going to perform well if you're not feeling good. And so uh, it's really worthwhile for any organisation, I think, to have a coach that will bring their employees' mental and uh, emotional well-being up to speed so that they can perform in the way that they naturally are able to. And is that information kept confidential? So if, even though an organisation pays for a coach or has an internal um, coach, where, where's the lines on, on confidentiality to protect the person who's getting the coaching? I think it differs from organisation to organisation. But if they brand it as performance coaching and it's compulsory for all staff, then kind of it gives people an opportunity to at least talk to somebody. And during that talking about performance, maybe the other aspects will come in. I'm going to hope that all of that is confidential. I think I'm dreaming in some organisations. I think some organisations will honour that and some not so much. Um, before we wrap up, you do meetups uh, for burnout, men's health. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about those so people know that they how to, to reach you? Sure. Well, uh, I uh, run two meetups and they're in Sydney Botanic Gardens, which is next to the Sydney CBD. And one is a men's stress management meetup where we talk about strategies for helping people to manage stress on a day-to-day -day basis. And the other one is an anxiety um, management meeting, also in the Botanic Gardens. And is there a cost for that? No, they're free. Okay, they're and free. is that a weekly meetup or monthly? At the moment, they're monthly. Okay. I've, I only started them a couple of months back, and when we increase in numbers, I'll probably increase in frequency. Okay. At the moment, we've got the stress one, which is uh, before work, 7 o'clock on a Thursday morning once a month, and the anxiety one is a lunchtime one. And that's for men only? Or the stress is a men's only group, and the anxiety is mixed. Um, and also your coaching, so people can get in touch with you um, via the, the profile link and you offer Skype or online, also face-to-face? -face? Uh, no, I don't do face-to-face -face anymore. My, my work is all on Zoom. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, so last question before we go. Uh, just give us three signs so it's, it's a bit of a repeated question of burnout. Like if I'm experiencing burnout, what are the three things that there's a good chance I'll be experiencing? Um, if you can be as specific as possible, that would help. Permanently exhausted, being hit in the face by every new task that you, you know, you, your whole day is just a set of tasks that you don't want to do is one. Anxious and fretful about being judged at work is another big one and unable to concentrate, brain fog, low performance, or decreased performance. Okay. Another one. And what are the three things that we can do today to help us reduce burnout or even prevent it? Take steps to manage your stress and anxiety, for sure. And um, I think time management is also super, super important. 
But stress and anxiety, at a basic level, anybody who meditates is already managing stress and anxiety. And I would say that that's one basic thing that everybody can do for themselves without much training every day. And if you're in the present moment when you're meditating, you can neither be depressed, which is living in the past, nor anxious, which is living in the future. That's great. And the, all the usual stuff that people tell you about it, diet and exercise, do stuff you enjoy. If you don't enjoy anything, then you're going to have to start with meditation and manage your anxiety. And what about the basic, the, the sleep, the food, the exercise, like just creating a routine around that? Is that? Would that be something? It's all good, but it's not going to bring you out of burnout because burnout is actually not the experience you're having in the world. It's the way you're responding to that experience. Oh, so it so could make it worse. It no, I mean, it's great to get good sleep and it's great to eat properly and exercise. They're all marvellous. But when you're in burnout, you need more than that. You've actually got to manage how you're responding to the world, how you're thinking about what's happening to you. Because until you change that, you're going to stuff up your digestion and your sleep by having your adrenals on all the time. So first thing first, we need to switch the adrenals off, which is also where meditation can help. Great. Is there anything else? you would like to add? I would just really encourage men who are chronically stressed and anxious to speak up and get help because my experience in life is it doesn't get better unless you do something. Mm. That's great. Thank you so much, Dirk, for this morning. Pleasure. Lovely to be here.